You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Do you ever feel confused when you read the Bible? Do you struggle to find meaning in what you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing something that the author of Scripture intended for you to understand when you read the Bible? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to interpret the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast, where we provide context to the biblical text so that you can understand the Bible better. Today, what we want to deal with is an aspect of the biblical world that doesn't get talked about a lot. Climate and agriculture. You'll remember that when we talk about the windows into the Bible, we're speaking about frameworks, four frameworks for understanding the contextual world of the Bible. And the first of the windows is spatial. And as I've said before, the space of the Bible and the biblical world is as much a character in the Bible as Abraham and David or Peter and Paul. But it's more than just a dot on a map or a roadway or a hill or a valley or a body of water. It encompasses the totality of the physical setting of the biblical world. Its flora, its fauna, its climate, and its geology. And so today we're going to talk a bit about the climate and the agriculture of the world of the Bible. We have a very interesting encounter between Jeremiah and God at the beginning of the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, in the context of God establishing Jeremiah's prophetic call, he asks him in Jeremiah 1 verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I replied, I see a branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, you have seen right. For I am watchful to bring my word to pass. Huh? What in the world is going on here? We read that and it makes no sense. A couple things are going on here. First of all, there's a nice little wordplay that's taking place in Hebrew. The word for almond is shaked. The word that is translated watchful or diligently watching is shoked. You hear the similarity, shaked and shoked? The difference is just where, what vowels you put in there. And you can read commentaries that will pick up on this wordplay. But the wordplay is not really the point of Jeremiah's message, although it does come into play. The point of Jeremiah's message is caught up in the horticulture of the almond. 
The almond is the first tree that blossoms in the spring, usually around February. When you see the almond tree blossoming, you know that spring has come. But it's the last to fruit. The first to blossom, the last to fruit. And this is the point of Jeremiah's message, or let's say the object lesson that God is showing the prophet. In the same way that when you see the almond blossoming, you know that eventually the fruit will come, but it's going to take time, and you're going to have to wait patiently for it. So also, God is going to watch over his word to accomplish it. So even though there is a delay and waiting must take place, he will faithfully and diligently watch over his word to accomplish it. That is what is communicated there in Jeremiah seeing an almond and God telling Jeremiah that he diligently watches over his word to accomplish it. In the book of Numbers, we find the almond appearing again. The children of Israel are challenging the authority of Moses and Aaron, and so God tells the head of each of the tribes to set their staffs in the tent of meeting and to also set Aaron's staff. And Aaron's staff was an almond rod. And in one night, Aaron's staff blossoms and fruits. Remember what we just learned about the horticulture of almonds the first to blossom, but the last to fruit. So the fact that it blossoms and fruits in one night is in fact a miracle. And it's God's way of saying, these are my chosen leaders. Deal with it. Again, this is something that is oftentimes assumed by the biblical writers that we know. And they are going to embed these little details that actually bear upon how we understand and interpret the Bible. When we talk about the climate of the biblical world, especially the land of Israel, there are going to be a couple of things that are going to impact and affect the climate of that world. Of course, the land of Israel sits at the eastern edge of the Mediterranean Sea. But just to the east of the land of Israel, on the other side of the Jordan River Valley, very quickly we get the deserts that come up out of the Arabian Peninsula. And so on the one hand, although the land of Israel sits at the eastern edge of the Mediterranean, there is always this push to the west of the eastern deserts. And there's kind of this struggle between the moist climate along the Mediterranean and the dry, arid climate of the desert. Complicating this is the topography of the land of Israel. The land of Israel, basically north-south, looks like a loaf of French bread, flat on the sides, puffy in the middle. So on the western slope, you have the coastal plain that sits right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Then you have the central hill country that forms the spine that runs north-south through the land of Israel. And the eastern slope goes down to the Jordan River Valley, which is where the primary freshwater bodies are for the land of Israel, the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee, which is actually a freshwater lake. It's the lowest freshwater lake uh, in the world at 200 meters below sea level and 600 feet below sea level. 
But most of the people in the time of the Bible are going to be living in the hill country. And even in the Holy Land, water doesn't run uphill. So you have the source of fresh water, which is down in the Rift Valley, which is below sea level. You have the people living in the hill country, which is above sea level. So what's going to be dependent or what's going to be the source of water for the children of Israel? Well, we read about this in Deuteronomy chapter 11. And there we read in verse 10. For the land that you are about to enter and possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. There the grain you sowed had to be watered by your own labors like a vegetable garden. Now just a word here. Most of the civilization in Egypt lived in the, along the Nile River. And every year, every spring, the Nile would flood and the banks of the Nile would flood bringing the rich alluvial soil that would deposit it in in the fields. And essentially, people could create irrigation ditches from the Nile River itself to water their, their fields. It was very consistent. It was very easy. It was very stable. And Moses is saying in Deuteronomy 11, well, that's not the land that you're coming into. But the land you are about to cross into and possess, a land of hills and valleys, Notice he notes the topography here. Soaks up its water from the rains of heaven. So this primary source of water, and of course water is necessary to survive, are the rains of heaven. And this is why the author of Deuteronomy goes on. It is a land which the Lord your God looks after on which the Lord your God always keeps his eye from years beginning to year's end. That's actually a very important statement because this is a land that's going to absolutely depend upon its survival from the rains of heaven. So to these ancient people, who for them their religion penetrates every aspect of their life, Their daily livelihood is dependent upon whether or not God's watching after them or not. They don't have the consistency of a Nile River that floods, that's a major river civilization like Egypt had, because of the topography of the land of the hills and valleys. So the statement that God's eyes are on this land from years beginning to year's end becomes essential for them to understand that that God's got them that God's going to take care of them. If then you obey the commandments that I enjoin upon you this day, loving the Lord your God and serving him with all your heart and soul, I will grant the rain for your land in season, the early rain and the late. You shall gather in your new grain and wine and oil. I will also provide grass in the fields for your cattle, and thus you shall eat your fill. Take care not to be lured away to serve other gods and bow to them. What's the connection? Why is there this connection between if you obey and love and do what I command you, I will send rain and pay attention in its season. I will give you grain and oil and wine, grass for your herds and your flocks, but be careful not to be lured away to serving other gods and bow to them. 
What's the connection here? When the Israelites are coming into the land of Israel, the peoples that are already in the land, the Canaanites, they understand the agriculture of the land. They understand the climate of the land. They understand that there's rainy seasons and they understand that there are dry seasons. Basically, October, November-ish until April is the time for rains. And the rest of the year, there are no rains. And so one of the things that these Canaanites had developed in terms of their religious cult was the worshiping of deities like Baal, Baal, who was the storm god. He is depicted often as carrying a lightning bolt, treading on mountains, the bringer of storm and rain and water. And one of the challenges that the Israelites are going to have because of the climate of the land that they're coming into is the allure of going and serving other gods. We hear, for example, of a figure known as Asherah, female goddess. And you find these little statuettes in archaeological digs of these female goddesses with enlarged bosoms and wide, curvy hips. This is a symbol of fertility. The ancient gods and goddesses and in, 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 in a lot of the religion that is surrounding the Israelites is connected to the climate and the agricultural cycle. And this is one of the challenges that as the Israelites go from being a more nomadic pastoral society to becoming more agrarian, that they're going to have this challenge that's being created by the climate. And so what is being communicated here is if you obey God, God then, who is watching this land year-round, is going to provide the rain in its season. We hear this being echoed again in Deuteronomy 8. And in Deuteronomy 8, verse 7, we read, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with streams and springs and fountains issuing from plain and hill. Again, describing the topographical features, saying that there are springs and streams and so forth. Okay, but again, remember, what is the ultimate source of water? It's the rain from heaven. Now, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, figs, and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey. And the honey here is date honey. Okay, it's not bee honey, it's date honey. Now, these seven varieties of agricultural crops are what are known as the seven species of the land. Wheat, barley, vines, meaning grapes, figs, pomegranates, olive, and dates. Okay, those are the seven species of the land. Now, is that all the crops that can be produced by the land of Israel? No. In fact, in the book of Genesis, when Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt, he sends them with things like pistachios and, and, and other crops. So what is the connection between these seven crops and what's being talked about here in terms of the land being a good land? Let's just read on a second in verse 9. A land where you may eat food without stint, where you will lack nothing, a land whose rocks are iron 
and from whose hills you can mine copper. When you have eaten your fill, give thanks to the Lord, your God, for the good land which he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God and fail to keep his commandments, his rules, and his laws which I enjoin upon you today. When you have eaten your fill and have built fine houses to live in, and your herds and your flocks have multiplied and your silver and gold have increased, and everything you own has prospered. Beware lest your heart grow haughty and you forget the Lord your God who freed you from the land of Egypt and the house of bondage, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its seraph, serpents, and scorpions, parched land with no water in it, who brought you forth water for you from the flinty rock, etc., etc. So what's the connection with these seven species and talking about the climate of the land? Well, what's important is I want to go back to what we said, what we read in Deuteronomy 11, that if you obey, serving God, loving him, God will send the rain in its season. Now, in the spring of the year, you have these competing climatic forces in the land of Israel. You have winds coming from the north, the northwest, bringing rain but then you also have these dry, hot winds coming from the south. And you can even imagine how ancient people could look at these competing forces of nature and think that it's a struggle between deities. Now, the northern winds that bring the rain, they're going to be beneficial to wheat and barley during the early stages of ripening. So again, we're, we're talking here really in March maybe even early April. But these northern rainy winds can wreak havoc on the olive, grape, pomegranate, and dates, which are just coming to flower during this period. And if the flowers have opened before the pollination has occurred, the rain will wash the pollen and your crop's going to be ruined. At the same time, the southern dry, hot winds are really good for the date and the olive and the grape and the pomegranate but they can be damaging to the wheat and the barley if it comes prematurely before the kernels of the wheat and barley are filled with starch. So these competing climatic conditions create a period really between the feast of Passover, which is again, March, April, to the time of the feast of weeks, which is the, the festival of the, the first harvest, what is called Shavuot. There's a 50-day window in there. And this period of time is really touch and go for these crops. Now, why those seven crops? Because these crops are the crops that are absolutely dependent upon the rains coming in their seasons. So again, if Israel obeys, the rains come in its season. Not prematurely and not too late. Not at a time where it's going to destroy your olives and grapes and dates and pomegranates, but it will help wheat and barley or also not the dry, hot winds that will serve olive and date and pomegranate, but will harm your wheat and barley in its season. And this is what's behind the statement that God watches over this land all the year long. But if they disobey and go and serve other gods, this is where we get the command or the statement that the heavens will be shut up like brass and that rains will not come. 
Now, notice the connection to the climate, the agriculture, and the fear of the people being led astray to worship other gods. Why would they go worship other gods? Because they're trying to create insurance so to make sure that the rains will come in its season. If I go and I take care of what matters to Baal as well as Yahweh, the God of Israel, then if I please both of them, my chances are greater that the rains will come and that famine won't hit. Because remember, what's always trying to encroach the eastern deserts? And so the challenge that the Israelites are facing, the, the, the critique of going and serving other gods that the prophets are speaking about are directly connected to the agricultural cycle. What's drawing the Israelites to go and worship Baal and Asherah and others? Well, it's the challenge of being able to live in this area where we're on the edge of the Mediterranean, on the edge of the desert, and our fresh water is below sea level, and we're dependent upon rain from heaven. Now that you understand this, go back and read, for example, the prophet Hosea. In a future podcast, we'll actually look at this uh, in the prophet Hosea in depth because he has some pretty interesting things to say. But understand also that the challenge that as the people of Israel go from being pastoralist nomads to being agricultural farmers, that this is going to create a different set of challenges religiously. And this is where you find many of the prophets speaking to. There was an existential threat that was created by the climate, and that existential threat impacted the religious actions of the people. And this is why we see this connection in the Bible between God and the giving of rain in its season. Today, we've just spent a few minutes looking at how understanding the agricultural world of the Bible provides context to understanding the Bible and the people that lived in the time of the Bible. It provides context for understanding Jeremiah's cryptic statement about the almond branch. It provides context for understanding how the climate and the topographical features of the land shaped and challenged the daily life of the people as they tried to be agricultural farmers and cultivate the land. And ultimately, it provides context for understanding the children of Israel looking outside the God of Israel as a potential source of provision and care for them. Remember, reading the biblical text within context enables us to read the Bible with understanding. I'm Mark Turnage, and this has been the Windows into the Bible podcast. See you next time. Windows into the Bible University is reinventing biblical education. We are providing a full curriculum to take you from the beginning phase of understanding the biblical text and its context, all the way through helping you to grow in your confidence and ability to interpret the Bible and understand it within the context of scripture. By understanding the biblical text, 
within the context of its world, you will learn to read the Bible with understanding. Check out Windows into the Bible University at WITBUniversity.com. That's Windows into the Bible University, reinventing biblical education. You've been listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBPodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBPodcast.com. Thanks for listening.